Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. I found a wooden shoe in my toilet today. Yeah, it was clogged. (laughs) If a pig loses its voice, does it become disgruntled? Uh, All right, so talking about the Bible today and next week. Hopefully I can narrow this down to two weeks. I've got a plan, what I want to share with you, and if you have some questions as you listen to this message, please text them into that number. Um, If you didn't write it down, can you put it up one more time for just a second or two? All right, so this number is, um, it'll it'll give you an opportunity to ask a question about how we got the Bible and, um, you know, what, I don't know, any questions you may have along those lines. If it's in the bounds and you're like, hey, it has to do with the Bible, send it anyway. I may uh, uh, use it next week. So, recently in Cleveland Heights, there's a man that's been calling people and he's been, got one of those dialers, I guess, that he found a way to project his number being the Cleveland Heights Police Department. And he's been dialing people and he's been calling them and saying that the person he's calling has unpaid fines. And then he says, after he convinces them that if you don't pay these fines, we're going to put a warrant out for your arrest, uh, he's been telling them, buy gift cards and send the gift cards uh, to pay their fines. By the way, if a police officer ever asks you for gift cards, uh, he's, yeah, it's a scam. But I know, I know, I know. We've all received one of those emails, right? The emails that we have an uncle that's a long lost uncle from like Nairobi, Africa, and, and he has multiple millions of dollars, and we are the only soul living heir, heir, and if we will simply send our bank information to them, they will fill our, our, our bank account with literally millions of dollars. Anybody ever received one of those? Yeah. All right, so here's my point. We need discernment. We need to know, by the way, both of those are scams, in case you're wondering. You do not have a rich, long-lost uncle. All right. Um, who and what can you trust? There are all kinds of tricks in this world to steal from you, to kill you, to destroy you. There are all kinds of tricks. And those tricks are used by the devil and used by other people in different places of the world. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to take from you rather than to give you life. So who can you trust? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9 says, Be alert. Be of a sober mind. What kind of mind do I want you to have? Sober mind. I want you to think. Be of a sober mind because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith. So you resist and you get discernment by standing firm in a faith worth having. And because you know what the truth is, you are able to resist the lies. Why am I preaching this sermon today? Well, I did all of this work, all right? I did all of it. I, I, um, a lot of work went into this message. I rewrote basically the entire thing. 
Uh, I did my master's thesis on this very subject we're talking about today. So this is, this is me. I've got a shelf of books like that many that I've read on this subject because I care about our subject today. It, it matters. But yesterday, I remember I, I give my sermon notes on Thursday. They're turned in for all the people to do the overheads and stuff. And then on, um, let me see, on Saturday morning, I go to breakfast with somebody from this church. And the person I sit down with starts asking me questions right along this content, asking me, well, where did the Bible come from? Why aren't these books included? Blah, 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 right? And in that conversation, what he said to me is, you know, this really troubled my faith and it made me question my faith. And I'm like, maybe, just maybe, maybe, God needed to confirm to me and you that I'm talking what you need to hear today. Because at some point or another, somebody's going to push against your faith and tell you that the Bible is filled with errors and it's a, just a human book or something like that. Or why isn't this or why isn't that? And they're going to push against it and maybe you need a, no, I know you need a firm foundation. So what I want to do today is I want to help give you a firm foundation. And there's a statement I want to make to you. You ready for this? The Bible is reliable. The Bible, as we have it, is reliable. Now, I use that word on purpose, and I'm going to show you the scripture it comes from, but I use that word on purpose because there are things not included in the word the Bible is reliable, and there are things included in the word the Bible is reliable. And there are a lot of us that we have views of God, and we have views of the Bible that aren't reliable because they're not based on facts and truth. So if you, go to your, if you go to your life group and somebody says to you, the Bible says God wants us all to be rich and healthy all the time, you can say to them, you are not quoting the Bible. You're quoting what your great-grandpa or some TV preacher told you. Because we have a lot of layers and probably, I've, I've dealt with a lot of people who are walking away from faith. And let me tell you about every person I've talked to who walk away from faith, they're not walking away from the true valid God, they're walking away from their version of an invalid God. So the Bible is reliable. We're going to talk about what that means. We're going to unpack today a positive side of it. Next week, we're going to unpack a little bit of a negative side of the word reliable because we're going to exclude some words about the Bible that maybe you've heard applied to it. So today, would you stand your feet in honor of God's word? And let's do 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. <clears throat> we also have the prophetic message as something completely what? I wonder where I came up with that word reliable. Hmm. The Bible is reliable because we have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. I wish I had time to delve into the Greek translation of this. And, and it, it actually is more reliable than the, than the prophets. The prophets are reliable, but the message we have is more reliable. It's completely, it's totally beyond your understanding reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to this message as to a light shining in the dark place. So there's a light here. It's a light shining in the dark place until the day dawns in your heart and the morning star rises in your heart. What's a morning star, by the way? Who's, who's the morning star in the Bible? Jesus. So the purpose, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Why do we have a Bible? This verse is going to be one of the verses we come back to next week to tell us why we have a Bible. 
It's because it's to bring light. By the way, who is the light of the world? Jesus is the light of the world. Who's the morning star? Who's more reliable? Oh, wow. We'll, we'll come back to that next week. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. So the purpose. Morning star is brightness and light. So it's, it's a light shining in the dark place. The message is a light shining in the dark place until the light comes into you and exudes from you. All right? One more. One more. Uh, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a what? Lamp. Once more, it's a light. It's to help you see. Anybody ever feel like the whole world's dark and you just don't understand it and you can't get it? Well, this Bible, the scripture we have is a flashlight shining our way until Jesus lights us up and then out of us flows light. So, Father, I pray that today you would help me proclaim these words appropriate. I pray that we would hear. I pray that we would understand. I pray that you'd help us see the scriptures we have as reliable. And I pray that it would go beyond just reliable words. And that it would turn into a light that reveals Jesus in us. And we would live the light of Jesus in the name of Jesus. We pray it. Amen and amen. So, before you're seated, you've got to give somebody a big smile and say, you're the brightest thing I've seen all day today. Hey, it's good to see you. Glad you're online. You're the brightest thing. So the, the Bible as we have it has shaped cultures because it is reliable. Christians have always been known as a people of the book. And the ideas even behind the Constitution and our Judeo-Christian way of living. The guy who wrote a majority of our Constitution, a guy named John Adams, and I read a big book about him, a, a biography on him, and I've read other biographies that are much shorter. And, and this is what they tell us about John Adams, is he was thoroughly immersed in the Scriptures, and that he was a guy who probably was more devout and devoted to Christ and a better Christian than I am. And he was a guy that... Uh, that used the Bible to help shape our very country and our Constitution. And, and these are the ideas that have shaped our world because the Bible is reliable. It teaches justice. It teaches kindness. It teaches interaction in a way that's healthy. But there are a lot of misconceptions about the Bible. There's ignorance about what the Bible really says. Anybody? All right. God helps them who helps themselves. Is that in the Bible? No, it is not. You may have thought it was, but it isn't. How about this one? Spare the rod, spoil the child. Is that in the Bible? No, it's not. Beat your son with a rod, it won't kill him, is in the Bible. <laughs> but not spare the rod, spoil the child. You know, like I said, if somebody tells you that God wants you to be rich all the time. How about this one? For the love of the money is the root of all evil. Is that in the Bible? Yes, it is. The love of money, not money is the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. Is how it's said in the Bible. Hmm. So there are words, and the problem is we're not acquainted with it well enough to know the difference between the truth and the lies. And if you want to be acquainted, you're going to have to spend time reading what it says. So there are four misconceptions. Number one, ignorance about what the Bible says. Second, ignorance of the origins of the Bible. Now, I'm going to share some pictures with you in a second. But me and my wife, we went to Corinth in, in Greece. Went to Athens, and we journeyed down the road to Corinth. And, uh, and that day, the guy that was driving our taxi cab, he was a, a taxi cab driver, and, and I was talking to him because it was his country, and I'm asking him all kinds of questions. And I said, so do you know anything about the Bible since we were going to Corinth, where, you know, a book of the Bible was written from, and, and 
two letters were written to that we have. I said, do you know anything about the Bible? He said, yeah, it was written about 350 A.D. by the church. And I'm like, what? Dude, we're in your world, in your country, and you don't know that the Apostle Paul wrote a letter from there at 55 A.D., and you don't know that he wrote a letter back, uh, the first letter to there was written at 52 A.D.? You don't know this. You think it was written at 350 by the church. But you guys have heard stuff like that too, haven't you? You know you have. And there are people that, that spout that stuff as if they know. And, and what I want to do is I want to inform you today. By the way, that's a lie. The church did not write the Bible at 350 A.D. A few believers wrote books, and it was grafted into what we call the Bible. They wrote those books. We'll talk about that. Thirdly of all, ignorance of the purpose of the Bible. We don't know why we have it. That's what next week's about. And then ignorance of how to interpret the Bible. And you've got to stay in relationship with believers to interpret the Scriptures correctly. Okay? All right. In this sermon series, I want to focus on two and three. And today I want to talk to you about the words, the literal words of your Bible are reliable. Uh, there are two halves of the Bible, in case you didn't know. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the central part of the Bible you have is the cross and the story where Jesus came to earth, he died, was buried, and resurrected. That is the central part. Now, all of the Old Testament, all the way from Genesis 1-1 in the beginning, all the way until Jesus, that is, um, that, that's a, a story of people trying to understand what was happening in their world and how God was interacting with them. They didn't have a clear view. The, the scriptures actually tell us they see through a veil darkly. So all of these people here, even though they were getting revelations and glimpses of who God was and how God was moving in the world, even though they were getting those revelations, it was, it was darkened by a lack of clear understanding. So there are things in the Old Testament that's really goofed up. Did you know... The Old Testament was written in layers as well. I don't, I don't have time to go into this, but uh, like, for example, the story in Joshua about them crossing the Jordan River to go from the wilderness years into the promised land. Do you know that story is told three different times? And each time the story is told, it as an application. One for the original story, one for the king's time period, one for the exile time period. There is a message given to all three. The story is told three times with three different applications. That means that the story developed over time. So the Old Testament, there's a lot of development. There's a lot of things I don't understand. And trust me, I read Hebrew. I, I took some Old Testament classes. I've read Hebrew. I've taken, uh, yeah, yeah. I did not major in Old Testament because here's what I found out. There are 6,000 Hebrew words in the Old Testament. The typical person in this room has a vocabulary of around 30 about 30,000 words in your vocabulary. Imagine using, what, one-fifth of your vocabulary to write a book. Do you know what that means? Hebrew is an inexact language. So one word can have five different meanings. Now, why do I tell you that is because they're just trying to understand what God looks like, and they're seeing through a veil with no clarity. But what happened when Jesus came onto the earth, the, the, uh, John chapter 1 says the 
God in the beginning was the Word, and this Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. So God became among us, and He lived, and He died on a cross, and He was resurrected from the dead. So then the New Testament are all those books written looking back at this event of Jesus' life, and they're helping us try to understand what we saw in Jesus. So this is looking forward to anticipating Jesus, and this is looking back at Jesus and trying to say, how do we now live with this revelation in us? All right? And that's the reason I'm a New Testament guy, is because I don't understand that, but I do understand this. Y'all, y'all got? All right. So when I talk to you today, most of the things I'm going to talk to you about is this side, because this side over here, the Jewish people had established their Hebrew canon like 200 years before Jesus showed up on the scenes. So that's all done and said, and we'll let them deal with that. But this tells us how to interpret Jesus. I want to pay attention to that. So um, most of the New Testament was written before 70 AD. Now this is important because something big happened in 70 AD. Rome came in under Pompey and they destroyed all of Jerusalem. They had captured all of Israel and they basically wiped out the Jewish state. They took tens of thousands of people captive and they killed tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of Jewish people. And they destroyed Jerusalem. They burned it to the ground. They burned the temple down. The gold melted so much that they cast all the stones off of the wall so they could get the gold underneath it, fulfilling the prophecy of Jesus that not one stone of the temple would remain intact. Now, all of this happened in 70 AD, and not once is it mentioned in the New Testament, which would strongly support Paul's argument. That Judaism is now fulfilled in Jesus and we don't have to have a temple. It would be strongly fulfilled in Hebrews and other books. And it's not mentioned. Why is it not mentioned? Because it hadn't happened yet. You know what that means? That all of our New Testament, except for maybe the book of Revelation and maybe the book of John, all of those things are written before the happening of AD 70. Why does this matter? Well... Did y'all, did y'all know who Abraham Lincoln is? Yeah. Did anybody see that movie that came out a couple years ago? Don't tell me if you saw it, but you saw the advertisement for it. Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Slayer. Did anybody see that? Yeah. Do y'all remember that? Him flying through the air with an axe in his hand. Did anybody remember that? Yeah. All right. All right. So Abraham Lincoln lived what, 100 years ago? No, not even. Yeah, about 120 years ago, right? All right, so 120 years ago, 130 years ago, whatever, 60 years ago, Abraham Lincoln lived. 160 years ago he lived. Now, in 500 years, if they're doing research on Abraham Lincoln, and they come across the text of the movie, the script of the movie, describing Abraham Lincoln as a vampire slayer, they're going to say, we now know for a fact Abraham Lincoln was a vampire slayer, right? Because uh, a movie script is equal in authority, right? to the biographies that are written by him within 10 years of his lifetime, right? 20 years of his lifetime. What? It's not? Are you saying it's not? Are you saying that a movie script 160 years later is not equal in weight and understanding of something that was written within 20 years of his lifetime? You're saying that the 20 years of his lifetime that's meant to be about his lifetime is more, more weighty in understanding who he was than a movie script written 160 years later, right? 
Are we in agreement on this? Well, this explains why the Gospel of Barnabas is not included in our Bible. I, I was doing some research this past week, and I came across the words, Epistle of Barnabas. And I thought, hmm, I want to read this. So I went to my computer, and I looked up Gospel of Barnabas. There are two different documents. <laughs> Epistle of Barnabas is a very short document written about 80 to 90 AD, which is not included in your Bible because every word in it is quoted in the Synoptic Gospels. It's just a retelling of the Synoptic stories. So the Epistle of Barnabas is different than the Gospel of Barnabas because the Gospel of Barnabas was written about 500 AD to, to try to undermine that Jesus died upon the cross. So it says what it says uh, by some people that didn't think, you know, Jesus should die, and they doubted the, the, uh, the nature of the story. They wrote this story 400 years later saying that Jesus and Judas basically changed places, and it was Judas that died on the cross, and therefore it was Jesus. He wasn't really resurrected. He just never died. Why is that not in your Bible? Because it was written 450 years later. But you know where it is found? That story is found in Muslim documents explaining why Jesus is not the real Messiah. So Islam is based upon a lie told 400 years after the event. Are, are y'all following me? So what you're saying is you're saying that some things are true and others are misrepresentations of truth? And you're, you've made that judgment, right? Okay. All right, so... Most of the New Testament was written before A.D. 70 during the lives of the apostles. What did it take to get a, bi a, a, a book of the Bible or a letter in the Bible put in the New Testament? One of the things it took is it needed apostolic uh, affutation or, or it needed to be uh, an apostle needed to be attached to it somehow. So Matthew, one of the apostles, uh, Mark was not. He was a little boy that ran away from Jesus in the garden, but yet it's written by Clement uh, that it was Peter was telling the stories of Jesus. And somebody said to him while he was in Rome, said, you know, you should write down these stories so we could have them. So about 45 AD, between 45 and 50 AD, uh, Mark recorded the words of Peter according to the church fathers. <laughs> And that's how we wound up with the book of Mark. Then there's Luke Acts. We'll talk about that in a second. So let's do this. Uh, let me give you an example of why this matters. Because the New Testament is not fairy tale, fancy stories. It's actual facts. One truth of that is there was a letter written to the Romans from Corinth in AD 55. A guy named Paul on his third missionary journey was in Corinth and he wrote a letter to the Romans. And he throws this little statement in. He says, Romans 16, 23, Erastus, who is the city director of public works. Now, Erastus, who is the city's director of public works. Um, can we show a couple of pictures? Me and my wife had a chance to go there. This is Corinth. Uh, this is the main street uh, that goes into Corinth, and that is the Acropolis in the background. It's, it, it's beautiful. It's so hot here. You have no idea about hot until you're there. My wife was, by this time of the day, my wife's saying, can we leave? And I'm like, no, we got to stay. I got more things to see. There's more rocks I haven't looked at. Because <laughs> all it is is a bunch of rocks now. I mean, this, this, uh, this was where Paul walked these streets, and it was here that, um, let me see, there, 
they found this inscription on one of the side roads up and to the left. And it says, this is in Latin, and it says, let me read it for you from Latin. Erastus, hold on, didn't we just read his name that Paul said Erastus from Corinth was greeting the church? And it called him the city's director of public works. And it says in this inscription at Corinth, it says Erastus in return for his adelship, which means his appointment to being a city father, uh, laid the pavement at his own expense. And I think that is a great idea. And I think all of these multimillionaire senators uh, need to pay for some things instead of... Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so anyway, I'm just saying, they, they weren't that dumb now, were they? Anyway, what I'm telling you is, is we actually have literal written in stone proof that what Paul said about Erastus being the public commissioner is right here in stone that we found. And all right, so go to the next one. So uh, there's a, another picture. That's me in the red shirt standing on top of that. Y'all see it, it just looks like rocks, but what you don't realize is that's literally the Bema seat. And Bema means judgment, the place of judgment where uh, the story in Acts chapter 18 about Sosthenes getting beaten because they took Paul up on that Bema seat and they held him trial there. And, and that story, as I stood there, on those stones, I realized that I'm standing where the Apostle Paul was tried. This isn't some makeup story told hundreds of years later. These are real people in real places, in real spaces, seeing real things. And man, this really hit me hard. A couple of days later, I'm walking through, actually it was the next day after this, I'm walking through the Agora which is the, uh, the marketplace, the ancient marketplace in Corinth. And I look over to my side. I was walking up the road, and I look over to my side, and I see this stone. And it's in unical Greek writing, which means it's all capital letters, and there's no spaces between them uh, because the endings of the, the words in Greek give you the ending of the word. You don't need a space. But anyway, in unical letters, I look over, and I see a, I, I see a, a markings on a stone. And I said, oh, this building was dedicated by Tiberius Caesar. And when those words came out of my mouth, I began to, I, I can't tell you the emotion that swept over me because I read something that I'm sure the apostle Paul read because Tiberius Caesar was in 50 AD and, and that's when Paul was there. He, he saw this. Guys, this isn't some makeup story. And, and it's the same Apostle Paul that wrote in that letter to the Corinthians. He said, unless Jesus Christ is resurrected, your faith is in vain. Yes. He wasn't running from the facts of the resurrection of Jesus. It was during the lifetime of Jesus. Real people, real places, real resurrection. These are real stories. This is really the truth. It is reliable. Uh, second story I want to tell you about the reliability of Scripture is about a, a verse in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, so the former book would be the book of Luke. So Luke wrote both Luke and Acts. It's a two-volume set, and it's to tell the story of Jesus and to tell the development of the early church. And he said, in my former book, Theophilus, which means one loved by God, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So if you're reading Luke and, Luke and Acts, let me help you understand why we have Luke and Acts. Because Luke quotes from Mark sometimes, and they have common sources. And why did Luke go out of his way to investigate all this stuff? Well, but you see, the Apostle Paul, we learn at the end of Acts, had appealed to Caesar. That's the Supreme Court of the land. He appealed to Caesar. Why did he appeal to Caesar? Well, 
What you don't know about Rome is that Rome allowed the worship of older religions to exist. So since Judaism was an older religion than Rome, they allowed them to exist and they allowed them to worship without persecution. Well, Christians were being persecuted for worshiping Jesus and they were saying this is a new religion. So Paul appealed to Caesar to say, Christianity is not a new religion. We are the, you ready for this, the fulfillment of Judaism. We are where Judaism has been going for thousands of years. And he was appealing to Caesar to say that. So what do you do if you're going to go to the Supreme Court? You would want to file a court brief so they at least know something about your argument before you show up. So Luke Acts is the court brief presented before Paul's trial to say, listen, here's who Jesus was, here's who he came from, here's what he did, how he was buried, how he was resurrected, this is how the church has developed, and this is where we are today through the Apostle Paul. And that's why the book of Acts starts, st I mean stops in A.D. 63 where Paul is about to stand trial before Caesar because that's where the court brief stops. Are y'all following me here? This, this was a factual court brief presented. That's the reason Luke and Acts never say anything negative about Romans. <laughs> they were smart. You read it. Uh, every Roman centurion, every Roman, they always were just. It was the other people around them that were crazy. I'm not kidding. Read it. Because it had a purpose. All right, so... Um, the Bible texts have been remarkably preserved, too. Oh, wow. Oh, goodness. All right, I'm going to make this quick. Y'all ready? Bible texts have been remarkably preserved. For example, Julius Caesar wrote a chronicle of his military successes in Gaul entitled The Gaelic Wards. It was written in the first century B.C., but the oldest manuscript we have of it is 900 years later. 900 years is the oldest manuscript we have of Julius Caesar, Caesar's Gaelic Wars. So, and then there's another one, Greek historian, that he wrote in the 5th century B.C., but the oldest manuscripts we have are from the 10th centuries. So, 16, 1700 years after he wrote it, we have manuscripts. There's a gap that big. But not so with the New Testament. We have over 5,000 Greek Testaments, our manuscripts of the New Testament, containing all or part of the New Testament text. There are 8,000 manuscripts of the Latin Vulgate alone, which is why the King James is so goofed up. The Latin Vulgate. Don't, don't get me started. But anyway, besides this, virtually the entire New Testament could be reproduced... If we didn't even have those old Greek manuscripts, there are 32,000 citations in the writing of the church fathers prior to the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. All right, so let's be clear. We don't have the original documents. We do not have the original documents. I believe we've got a slide here. The next slide, I want to show you. Um, this is how the, uh, the scriptures were originally written. They were written on papyrus on the left-hand side. Papyrus is like old newspaper. I don't have time to go into the making of it, but after a few years, it just 
falls apart all brittle. That, I believe, is P86. I believe that's what it is. And P86 dates all the way back to about 120 A.D. So we do have a document that old, but only a few of them, and you see the kind of shape they're in. On the right-hand side, we have a codex. And a codex, the reason it's so thick is because that sheepskin... And they would take sheepskin, dry it out, and they would write on it in ink. And it cost a lot of money to put a sheepskin together of a codex. And this happened later in the development. So let's go to the next slide. So we don't have the original document that Paul wrote down. By the way, we don't know what Paul originally said. The, the reason I say you don't know what Paul originally said is because Paul only wrote like five words in the New Testament. It's, see what large letters I write? <laughs> because he was blind. So everything that Paul wrote was written by somebody who wrote it down for him. And we don't even have the original of that. The original document has been lost. But what happened was these churches thought this original document, this letter, they thought it was worth keeping. By the way, they didn't keep them all because there were four letters we know from First and Second Corinthians. There were four letters written to the Corinthian church. They only kept two. And we also know there was a letter written to the church at Laodicea that nobody knows what it is. It's disappeared. You can read about that. That's in the book of Colossians. So we know that there were other letters. They just weren't valued. So the early church said, this is good stuff. We should keep this and read it again. And then it started breaking apart, so they made a copy. And then after they made the copy, somebody came along and made copies of the copies. And some more copies than others were made. And then they made copies of copies of copies. And somewhere, notice what happened. If the original copy misspelled a word, like the difference between we and he in Greek is minuscule. It's the different sound of E. There are two different sounds of E. And if it's different, then what happened is somebody wrote the wrong letter. They wrote an eta instead of a, a, a I forget my, my Greek one. I can't think of what the N looks like. Anyway. All right. So anyway, what you have is, if they made a mistake on that copy right there, then every copy that came out of that copy would then have that same mistake, right? Are you all following me? All right, so here's what we have. They're developed text types. The Western text type, the Eastern text type, the Byzantine text type, all right? And where I put those blues, somewhere around the third century, we have the entire New Testament in in the Western text type, and the Eastern text type, and the Byzantine text type. All right? Or uh, Western, Eastern, yeah, Byzantine. All right, so the reason I'm telling you that is because we have these documents here. And these documents, they didn't have printing presses. And once a piece of paper went this way, it was copied over here. And everything in it over here would be what it is. And everything going this direction would be what it is. And the copies would be what it is. And when you compare Codex Alexandrius, Codex Vaticanus, and Codex Synacticus, which are the three big 4th century or 325 to 350 A.D. Bibles, they say, almost without exception, the exact same thing. Okay? So we can know very closely what the original document said because the copies that went different directions all say basically the same thing. Now, there are people, let's be clear, that will say that the Bible's filled with errors. And I want to show you what some of those errors look like. Would you all be all right with that? Let's do it. Can you go to the next slide? 
Oh, oh, yeah, that's what I mean by text type. That second dot there is Codex Sinaiticus, but that book was probably written all the way up at Istanbul, and it, it reveals that Greek text type, but it was moved down there. That's a long story. I wanted to tell you all about Tischtendorf today and how he found it, and they were burning this Bible. They were burning sheets of it to start the fire, and he went in and found it, and he basically stole it, and they held a trial for him. I wanted to tell you that story because it's really cool, but I don't have time. So let's go to the next one. All right, Codex Alexandrius. This is found in Alexandria, Egypt, and it says, Jesus answered him, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, all right? Codex Sinaiticus, Sinai, which is the one that reveals the more Middle Eastern view, said, and, notice they added an and, Jesus answered him speaking instead of, so Jesus answered him, but Jesus answered him speaking. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word of God. Why did they add on every word of God? Because the scribe thought to myself, I should just complete the quotation because that is literally a quotation from the book of Deuteronomy. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. All right? So what did Codex Vaticanus say? This is the one that was found in Rome. It says, and Jesus answered him saying, it is written, the man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word of God. Now, Yes, the Bible is filled with thousands and thousands of errors. And all except for maybe three dozen of them, that's what they look like. Not one single. The copies we have are filled with thousands and thousands of errors between them. But not one single uh, 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 part of the text in question has anything to do with your faith because it can be established from undisputed passages throughout the Bible. Are y'all following me here? So when you hear people say, the Bible's filled with error. By the way, I, I want to read you two quotes, and then we're going to take our questions. So come on, Pastor Matt. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm going as fast as I can. Um, many, this is a quote from the book by Eric Metaxas. He said, many have claimed that the Bible texts were changed in the course of their being copied over the centuries by monks in the Middle Ages. Skeptics suggest the monks in league with the all-powerful church transformed them into what the church wanted instead of what they originally were. And that is the big argument levied against it. But what I've just done is I've given you factually enough information to know that is a load of stinky stuff. This is what, this is literally what an atheist says about the Bible, all right? This is what the atheist said. To be sure of all the hundreds of thousands of textual changes found among our manuscripts, most of them are completely insignificant, immaterial, of no real importance for anything other than showing that scribes could not spell or keep focused any better than the rest of us. So the Bible you have is reliable. The literal text you have is reliable. All right, so do you have any questions? Do, do you come up with any? Hello. All right. So there are actually a lot of questions that popped oh, up. Oh, boy. Yeah, like way too many for you to answer All right, this give time. me one. What's the best? Now, you want the most ones that are according to like biblical relevance, right? Not just like general the theological Just give me one. Right. I'll tell you whether or not I'll answer it. Is there a most correct version of a translation of the Bible? All right, this is a great question. All right, so anything written after the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls is going to be more accurate than anything before the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. That happened in uh, 1960 or something. Uh, also, 
um, there have been a lot of additions um, to our knowledge and database. For example, Tischendorf found, um, found uh, Codex Synacticus around 1880, 1890. So the King James Version that you have, they call it the received text. It doesn't have a lot of Greek manuscripts that have been found in the last hundred years. So is there a better translation? It depends on what you want out of the Bible. All right? If you want word-for-word -word accuracy, uh, read the NET, the New English Translation. It's going to give you word-for-word -word accuracy. The best I've seen, especially for the New Testament. Uh, Rob Abel's back there pointed it out to me because I was doing some teaching, and he said, every time you, you write the CNIV, the Crow's Nearly Inspired Version from the Greek text, the NET says what you said. <laughs> so that's... that's all right, if you want a readable, understandable version that gives you the message in an understandable way, the NIV is the best. Uh, I think so. I, I, I just like it. It's got its problems. They all have their problems. Because one time I was preaching in, in Mexico, and I said a sentence that was about 15 words, and I turned to my translator, and he talked for about a minute. And I'm like, what happened? And he said... The people don't understand what you just said because there is no one-to-one -one equivalent between the two. So I had to tell them what you meant. And sometimes when you encounter the Greek, for example, there are four words in Greek for love. We have one. There are two words in Greek for house. We have about 30. Does it tell you what we value and what they valued? All right. I hope that answered. So NIV is good, and if you really want a good thing, get an NIV study Bible and read the footnotes. You'll get, you'll get more smarter doing that. Uh, ESV, uh, NRSV is also very good, and the study Bible notes are very good as well. All right. So last week in, <laughs> sorry, last week in Matthew 28, 19, you mentioned the Crow's Nearly Inspired Version. I called Zondervan and Thomas Nelson, and neither one of them were publishing it. Where can I find a copy? That's because that is my own literal translation from the Greek. So anytime you see it, it is my... I, have, I read Greek. I read Greek nearly every day of my life. I spend time in it. I love reading the Greek New Testament because the New Testament was written in Greek, all except for a couple of words in Aramaic. So when I use the CNIV and Crow's Nearly Inspired Version, I am making a joke. It is an inside joke. I apologize for that. The person who wrote that acknowledged, knows it's a joke. Yes. All right. All right. So how do you reconcile biblical creation with prehistoric fossils that would seem to contradict the story of creation in Genesis? Wow. All right, all right. We I told we you. We don't have a lot of time, but can I go? I, I'll preach on this at other times. We don't have a lot of time. Let me just tell you this. God created science. So real science validates God. They are not at war against each other because God made it. It was only after the Scopes trial that Christians pulled out of science to try to establish the Bible as something it was never written to be. The Bible is not at odds in science. As a matter of fact, I'll, I'll give you this simple fact. Y'all ready for this? Modern science has recently proven that the world had to have a beginning, that matter had to be created 
and that the Big Bang had to start from an uncreated creator. And I, can, I could prove this to you if I had time, but modern science has proven the first three words are four words of your Bible. In the beginning, God. Now, how it goes from there may be written. Um, let me put it this way. The theory of evolution is a... Okay. All right, it's theory. Your theory of how the world came into be is a... Were any of you there? Did the person who wrote Genesis 1, was he there? No, he wasn't. The person who wrote it was Moses. And he didn't live, even at your best day, until 2,000 years after it happened. So it's reflective of text to help us understand how God made. And if you've got a problem with that, you need to deal with you. Because God is bigger than your view. Let God be God and every man a liar. And that includes me and you and all these scientists and all the six-day creationists and all the theistic evolutionists and all of us. God is bigger than all of us. And what I'm telling you is the Bible is what? It's what? Okay. It's reliable. Doesn't, yeah. I'm sorry, that, that was a landmine. I was dancing. <laughs> but I'm telling you, your view of creation is wrong. You know how I know that? You weren't there. Here's the view of creation that is right. Y'all ready for this? In the beginning, God. <laughs> All right. Want another one? Yeah. Why are some commands described as culturally, culturally relevant, like women That's interpretation. Or... That's interpretation. I don't have time for that one. I, I, no, I can't. I can't. Uh, next week, come next week, I'm going to give you the purpose of the Bible. I'm going to give you why we even have a Bible. It'll help you understand what to do with passages you don't understand. Okay. And uh, I did preach on that. First Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 2, I did preach an entire sermon on that last October 21st. I know because I just looked it up this week. All right. Wow. All right. <laughs> I don't remember what I ate for lunch two days ago, but, you know. Whatever. I just looked it up this week. All right, one more and then we're done. All right. Uh, you can say yes or no. We have a few more as well. So. Okay. All right. In the Bible, angels minister to Jesus and others are mentioned repeatedly. What guidance does the Bible provide us about how angels continue to minister to us today? <laughs> That's oh. a theological question. That has to do with interpreting the Bible. I'm more interested in establishing the Bible as reliable. All right. And uh, we can interpret that another time. But uh, one more chance. How's a good way to read the Bible? I've read some books, but I want to read the whole Bible. Good, 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 good. All right, all right. Let's talk really quick, and then we'll be done. Get yourself a Bible. Get yourself a study Bible. Pay the extra money. Get a study Bible. Uh, start at Matthew and read through, read through Jude. Skip Revelation. <laughs> Don't worry about Revelation. Everybody's all concerned about Revelation. I'll deal with it sometime. I'll preach on that sometime. Don't worry about it. Read Matthew through Jude and then reread it again. After you've read the entire New Testament three or four times, then attack Revelation. All right? All right, if you're going to read the Old Testament, uh, start, it, start at Genesis and just go through like a book. Just bookmark through this and do it, okay? The reason I said get a good study Bible is before you read a book of the Bible, read the introduction. Read the introduction. It will help you understand. And then 
those notes down at the bottom if you have a question. More often than not, somebody else asks that question, and you will find in the notes help reading and understanding. All right? Everybody understand that? Remember, the Old Testament is I'm trying to understand. The New Testament is reflecting back. Um, I read about six chapters a day. I do a psalm. I do a Proverbs. I do an Old Testament before psalms, an Old Testament after uh, um, Ecclesiastes, and then I do a New Testament gospel, and then I do a New Testament, the rest of the New Testament. Uh, um, there are different patterns and styles. I would encourage you to read in multiple locations at the same time, but read all the way from front to end. All right? Does that make sense? Good. All right. I, I wish I had more time. There's more, unless there's a big one. Was there any really super big ones? We got to go. Your kids are going to tear down the place. So our band, uh, would y'all would y'all do this? Uh, by the way, our, our carpets, are, our foyers already destroyed. You're going to love it though. It'll be new next week. Um, I, here's what I want to encourage you. All right. The Bible doesn't do you any good as long as it's sitting on the shelf. God wants to talk to you through the Bible. And if you have questions, if y'all ready for this? If you have questions, I wanted to show by the Q&A, this is a safe place to ask questions. It's all right here to ask here. It's okay. This is safe. We have faith. We believe the Bible is reliable. It's not a perfect book falling down from heaven. We'll talk about that next week. It's okay have questions. It's okay to work through it. Don't discard your view of God. Don't discard God because you've got a mixed up view of God. Don't discard faith because you were taught something stupid that doesn't even make sense. Are you got me? All right. They're going to end it with this song. Would y'all stand listening to this and we'll be done today.